proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr, and I'm your host, but I'm also the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan. The Collective is a band of confessing pastors, planters, and churchmen, and each week we will have uh, confessing brothers share their wisdom and experience. In today's podcast, we have Matt Sims, the author of We Believe. Matt is an ex-fundamentalist turned confessional Presbyterian. Matt, how you doing? Doing well. Matt, could you just give us a quick bio of yourself? Yeah, um... As he said, you know, my name is uh, Matthew. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, just an average guy um, who uh, who happens to write. I've been married 11 years this uh, this year. Got a, three beautiful daughters, and um, you know, it's just kind of been on this journey. And uh, this this book is kind of the end of that uh, the faith journey, as uh, Aaron said, just taking um, from fundamental Baptist. Uh, to confessional Presbyterian, and and hopefully it'll be a resource that uh, helps other people who are kind of searching out what confessionalism might look like for their faith. Matt, I know that uh, you took a journey from fundamentalism into confessional Presbyterianism. I just kind of want to hear a little bit about your journey from, I know the three big ones you talked about with me on the phone were Calvinism, Baptism, and Presbyterianism. Can you kind of step us through that journey a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I had grown up, uh, you know, Baptist from pretty much uh, the time I was born, and uh, had really kind of struggled with with doubt and faith during that time, and um, had had ended up going to a college which was fundamentalist as well. But uh, one of the, the the beauties I think of fundamentalism can be that you know they take the Bible very seriously. They believe that it was inspired. And uh, also at the, at the university I attended had a great library with lots of Puritans in it, even though they weren't reformed or Presbyterian or or Calvinist. And so, you know, kind of started on the journey towards reformed theology, kind of reading the Puritans on my own. And, um, you know, and then also asking kind of questions about my background. You know, we, you know, you say you take God's word seriously, but this doesn't, you know, line up, you know, cultural issues and uh, other issues, uh, the like. And like a lot of people, my first introduction and one of the first kind of official, hey, this is Reformed theology introductions into that was uh, John Piper sermons. And, um, you know, from there had several guys who were kind of ahead of me on the journey and kind of sharing, hey, this is what I'm learning. This is where I'm at. And, um, you know, really easily kind of jumped into being a four-point uh, Reformed Baptist. Uh, one of, like you said, kind of one of the big transitions was, um, you know, limited atonement, especially with my background. Um, you know, that Christ died for all was just something that was kind of pounded into my head. And and so it was a real struggle kind of coming to grips with what I believed to be true, but, but was maybe struggling with wanting to be true or kind of assenting to um see that was uh you know that was probably you know big transition number one um and then you know due to family and having kids and trying to seriously think thinking through considerations of how i disciple my own children kind of the baptism issue kept coming up every time i had a kid i'm kind of thinking through these things and eventually kind of came to the point where i was just convinced and convicted that hey i need to have my have my kids baptized um, you know, at that point, I had, I'd been in kind of Reformed theology and Reformed circles enough where even though it was a transition from being Baptist to Presbyterian, it wasn't probably as, as um, paradigm-shattering as, you know, kind of coming to grips with believing in, in limited atonement. So, um, And then from there, kind of the, the logical step is you got to get into a Presbyterian church because there's not 
there are many other places that are going to are baptize your kids. So we uh, we had already kind of in the early transition visited the church we're members at now, Downtown Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina, um, and I just love the preaching there. Just you know, filled with the gospel and um, you know, just feel nourished and refreshed and 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 whatnot every every time we heard uh, Brian uh, preach, who's it's kind of the main preaching pastor there. Um, and so we kind of joined arms with them. And um, at that point, my oldest had been already made a profession of faith. So uh, we kind of let the elders talk to her and kind of do their thing and had her baptized. And then the youngest two, one at the time was two and the other had just been born, uh, were, were baptized together. And, um, you know, really, you know, kind of looking back, it was, is really something I had been doing with them anyways, kind of treating them covenantally. And um, so baptism really was kind of the logical step. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense to treat your children covenantally, but not put the, the sign of that on them as well. So how did the, how did all that journey affect your marriage? Yeah. I mean, I think um, at the start it, it uh, you know, again, that kind of that first, uh, transition point was, um, a pretty big, a pretty big transition. I mean, I'd probably been married for less than a year kind of when that was all happening. So kind of my wife, my wife knew, you know, kind of what I had believed before. And then there was a pretty quick transition to this other thing that she was not familiar with at all. Um, and, uh, as is um, unfortunately often the case, I wasn't very gracious with my expectations for her. And, uh, and so that really kind of soured things. And, you know, for several years, we just never kind of talked about it again. And and that was really interesting because as the time came where I, again, kind of felt convinced and convicted that I needed to have my kids baptized. um, I wasn't really sure, you know, how things would, would turn out. I, I didn't want to, um, kind of strong arm my wife into, uh, into going to a Presbyterian church. I really wanted her to, uh, to be in agreement, even if she wasn't uh, convinced herself and, uh, just honestly prayed about it for several months. And then it's like, Hey, you know, we're about to have our third baby and I'd really like to have her baptized when she's born and have, um, Maddie, who's my, my middle daughter baptized as well. And she was really open to it. So, you know, I, I credit that to just the spirit working. And, and also I think it's a testimony to the fact that, um, you know, you don't, you don't need to shove uh, theology down your, your spouse's throat. It's better to be gracious and humble and let the spirit do the work. You know, you can um, kind of after that, after that first transition, we had had, you know, marital struggles. And so one thing that, you know, from that and then the marital struggles that I learned was just, um, you know, the spirit works in different people at different times and, you know, letting him do the work, you know, my job, if you will, as a husband and as a father is to just kind of faithfully, um, put the, put the dinner on the table as it were, you know, just feed my family and, you know, the spirit's gonna, um, you know, bring my wife and my kids along and, in the timetable that in his wisdom, he knows best. If you, if you try to do that on your own, it's, it's always just going to end super badly. I mean, it's just, I haven't talked to a guy who's done that successfully yet. Um, and so, you know, if I, if I can encourage, if you're kind of new to Calvinism or reform theology, that'd be my one, you know, one, uh, uh, one recommendation. I, I kind of, re- I remember one time, especially kind of after all that had gone down when, um, you know, I just decided, hey, I'm going to kind of put my nose to the grindstone, read my Bible, you know, feed my family, just try to love them well. And, uh, you know, my wife kind of made a comment that, you know, something was different, you know. Wow. You know, I just noticed something was different. There wasn't kind of that agitation. And I think that was a big turning point, you know, just, you know, not making it a big uh, debate talking point. You know, and we've had conversations since then. I mean, when they come up and questions come up, you know, we talk about it, but you know, they go a lot smoother now than, than I'm not, uh, 
a jerk about it. So <laughs> God has a way of doing that, uh, rough, uh, sanding out our rough edges, I guess you could say. Yeah. Matt, uh, you went, you were, if, if I'm correct, you were raised, your parents are both Catholic and yep. they, um, then, then you talk about becoming a fundamentalist and then from fundamentalist into confessionalism, kind of explain your journey of salvation there. Yeah. So I think maybe, obviously I wasn't born, but I think maybe six to eight months after I was born, they were converted through some Baptist friends that, um, that we had met on a naval base. Uh, actually, in God's providence, there was no housing on on base, and so we ended up staying with um, some friends who who actually live 15 miles down the road, and we kept in contact with and do holidays with, and you know their family. Um, but they let us stay in their house and uh, talk to my parents about the gospel, and so they converted very early. But um, see, I I've been baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, um, made a profession of faith when I was three or four, and I had been baptized then, um, was baptized, I think, again, when I was like 12 or 13, and then in early um, early to middle high school as well. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that definitely, you know, there was always this kind of constant um, doubt and uh, struggle with my faith and kind of what does it mean to trust trust God and you know um, and also kind of the tenor of uh, some of the preaching in fundamentalism tends to be towards um, in my experience towards uh, causing kind of the doubt um, and you know and causing um, instead of you know having the balance between comforting those that need to be comforted and convicting those who need to be convicted it's all just conviction and if there's any sliver of doubt you better make sure without a shadow of a doubt you know and come up here and and uh and re- you know repent and confess again and then you know you need to be baptized after that even if you weren't sure you know well that's one of the most beautiful things about reformed theology is the balance of law and gospel and you see the abuse um of the law. And I came out of a fundamentalist background too, much like you. I, there's many things I I'm, I'm thankful for about that, but I, I can see where a lot of my own Catholic family was an easy fit for them to go from Catholicism into a more fundamentalist, rigid, um, law in, in, in some ways, law teaching, law emphasizing, uh, uh, uh faith. But then coming into the Reformed faith, there's this idea of grace and forgiveness, right? And, and that, that understanding that to understand grace, I need to understand the law. But once I understand the law, it, it drives me to grace. It drives me to my need of there. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, looking back now, I, I really see God just constantly pursuing me and being faithful to me, um, you know, despite all my feelings and despite my doubts. And, um, you know, that's something you know, I share with my kids now, you know, God's been faithful to me through everything that I've been through. And, you know, to, to child appropriateness, I, you know, I shared kind of some what, what that would look like. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully that helps them as they, as they go along and have doubts and struggles and, uh, you know, realize it's not about you. It's about what God's, you know, what God's done for you. And, you know, these are the promises that he's given you. So, you know, again, like you said, that's kind of the beauty of the Reformed faith and especially of, uh, of baptism. Sweet. Let's, I'm going to back up a little bit in, uh, usually before we get to talk about your book, which I know a lot of listeners want to talk about, um, which is the book, We Believe, Creeds, Confessions, and Catechisms for Worship. And there's a lot more of your journey I want to kind of hit as we go through this podcast. But I know a lot of the guys always ask me, who are some of your favorite old dead guys? And so I know you named one already with Sibs and the Bruised Reed. Are there any other guys um, that are that are kind of from the past that you would say are must-reads for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... You know, again, I'm, my background's in English, so um, you know, there's kind of a running joke that lots of people, and even if you haven't read the classics, you know, a lot of times you'll you kind of like to talk like you've read them or be intelligent enough to talk. And I think, you know, one person that kind of gets that treatment in in Reformed theology 
um, is John Calvin sometimes. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, when the banner of truth put out the latest edition, um, which is just a really nice volume, well put together. Um, I decided to try to start reading through the institutes again. So I just read a little bit at a time. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's just gold. I mean, I think the way that he talks about knowing God and the way that, um, he talks about, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments is just, um, I mean, just a step above anything else you can, you can, uh, you can get your hands on. Um, there was, um, there was one part in the Ten Commandments uh, where he's talking about, you know, you, you know, you can't kill. And I think my experience with the Ten Commandments had been kind of the heavy hand. You know, these are things you've got to obey. But what I really love in, in the confessions, you know, the Westminster and uh, the Heidelberg kind of do some of the same things. But um, Calvin talks about how that command also positively is about loving your neighbor and not doing them harm. Um, so I think just kind of that experiential, you know, practical wisdom um, is definitely something that's worth getting into. And if you can get the, the Banner of Truth edition, that's probably the, the favorite uh, that I've had. I think I had an old copy of, uh, I think, um, is it the beverage? Uh, and I tried going through that before and just, I never made it, uh, very far, but sure. the, the newer sure. translation I think is a little bit easier reading. Yeah. Yeah. More, a little bit more approachable and it's a real handsome volume. So, um, another question I'm also get asked is what is, uh, the, what theological topic gave you the biggest difficulty I, if I were to jump in here, just talking to you and listening to your to your discussion so far, it's been really focused on baptism. Would you say that is the most difficult decision is up up to this point as you wrestled through theology? Um, it, it would definitely be up there. I think probably, you know, at the at the point where I decided, yeah, this is you know this is what I believe now. Um, you know, I had already already been um, already decided. You know, Reformed theology was where I was throwing my hat in, and had already been in Presbyterian churches and read Presbyterians. And um, you know, at that point, my my uh, family knew that you know I was Reformed. That you know, at first, that was kind of a big deal. Um, so you know, that even though there was lots of questions, and it was uh, you know a big decision, a big a big change. Um, probably the, I would still say probably the biggest change early on was kind of going from the four point to the five point, um, especially coming from an independent fundamental uh, background, you know, that was just a huge, huge deal. I mean, and so when guys talk about being going from four point to five point, it usually hovers around limited atonement. Is yeah. That, is that what you're okay? Yeah. Limited atonement. So just kind of, um, coming to grips there and just, Again, my whole my whole background was kind of from that fundamental Baptist, you know, where you know, and everyone believes in, um, or or not everyone believes, but uh, you know, Christ died for everyone, and um, so I think from where I was at at the at the point where that happened, that was the biggest probably jump, um, you know, that that I've made theologically, the hardest hardest jump. You know, for their baptism was big and it was difficult and it kind of it, it took me a while to get there. But, you know, once it was done, it was, a, you know, it wasn't a, a life shattering, uh, a life shattering, uh, you know, decision. It didn't disrupt things like, um, you know, I think part, it may be, again, part of the problem going from the four point to the five point was kind of the, the typical stage cage, stage cage Calvinism, you know, trying to evangelize everyone on it as well and probably not being very uh um, gracious gracious about it yeah um so that that probably didn't help help things as as well so so taking that and saying okay we've talked about old dead guys we've talked about your biggest theological issue who would you say is a modern theologian that writes that um, just regularly punches you in the face, whether it's, hey, you need to be gracious in your uh, Calvinism or uh, uh, or whatever. Who who would you say that, that person is? 
Um, I'm a big fan of Keller. I mean, I, mm. I, you know, he's, he's probably one of the only people that I read just about every, everything that he, that he writes or, you know, you know, buy everything that he, that he puts out now. Um, so, you know, in the, in Presbyterian circles, he's probably the, the big name. Um, but yeah, I love, I love Keller. I mean, just the, uh, the faithfulness and winsomeness and, um, yeah, I would, I would when was, Keller. when was the last time Keller punched you in the face? <laughs> uh, I think the, uh, yeah, I've got the, the, uh, the Psalms book, but I, uh, I haven't, I haven't, uh, jumped into it quite yet. Um, you know, I think probably the, the one that stands out is his book on, on suffering. Hmm. Um, I mean, it just, um, again, it's something, you know, with kind of, uh, again, my, my history with, uh, depression and kind of over the last three years, um, we've had just lots of, I've had lots of people I've loved, you know, pass away. Um, and, and my wife too. I mean, we, this year, I think we had four or five family members pass away the year before, um, my old youth pastor who, uh, you know, just, he, he's the one that I dedicated that we believe to. Um, he passed away of cancer, really young guy. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, before that, a couple of years before that, um, had a family member who was battling with depression and kind of knew my experience and kind of came to me and kind of while we were at the grace church, we had a, a couple who was going through marital problems and we were helping out. So kind of right as I was reading that, all of that's kind of going on and it's just something, you know, just very experiential and also probably the, just the most comprehensive thing that I've, that I've read on suffering. And again, kind of, kind of like with Sibs, just reading it and being comforted uh, with the way that he handles the topic. And um, so I would, I would recommend that if you haven't, haven't read that. The issue of suffering specifically, and, and, and as you brought up a couple of times now, your own battle with depression. Um, I'm friends with Joe Thorne and I know we've had discussions um, about his battle with depression and he actually shares that in um, a note to self and as he talks about preaching the gospel to ourselves. But what I'm always surprised by is as you go through history, you see other historical figures who've battled depression. Uh, William Cooper, which is spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. A lot of people want to say Cowper, but his battle with depression, how how did you bat, how did you overcome how are you overcoming that battle of depression and how has theology helped you to do that um you know I, you mentioned joe's book I, i've read that and um and in the book i wrote before we believe i talk about um preaching the gospel to yourself too um you know lloyd jones has the famous famous quote um talking about preaching um, the gospel to yourself. And, you know, to me, that's been, um, you know, that's been a huge factor, um, with the way that I kind of handle, handle that just constantly preaching the gospel to yourself. And also, um, you know, um, and this is, this is a little bit cheesy. I I've never listened to the full sermon. I haven't been able to find it, but, um, you know, one at one point when I was really struggling, something that really helped turn the corner was this really cheesy. You know, they have you seen those videos where they've got you know someone preaching and there's kind of music playing in the background. A lot of times they are really cheesy, but there was this one with uh, Matt Chandler preaching, talking about Romans eight. Pause and, for a second. Um, I'm glad you said Matt Chandler because as you keep saying cheesy, I'm thinking uh, Olstein right now in my head. So I'm just pumped that you said Chandler, not yeah. Olstein. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so someone made one of those kind of clips with a song in the background. It can sometimes be really awful, um, but I, I and I remember um, my wife and her sister had gone out for kind of a girls' night, and I was home alone and just really feeling depressed and beaten down and weary. And I don't, I don't remember how I found this clip. Um, but, uh, he's preaching on Romans eight and he's talking about kind of going through that end of the chapter. And he's talking about, 
you know, God is the ultimate, um, the ultimate judge, you know, the Supreme Court. And if God doesn't condemn you, then nobody can condemn you. Wow. And um, I, th- I think I've got it saved in my pocket. And I've, hmm. I've regularly gone back and and watched that video. Just the the way he delivers that it was is just powerful. And so, um, you know, again, kind of for me, my my experience has been that you know, when, when that starts to kind of creep up on me, um, one way that I've, one thing that I found helpful is kind of discerning whose voice are you hearing? You know, when the, when the spirit, when it's the spirit and he's, um, convicting you or working in your life, you know, you know, if you're sinning, um, you know, he's convicting you and calling you to repent of your sins. You know, he's not beating you down. He's not bruising the reed. Uh, you know, when it's Satan, he's condemning you and accusing you. And so for me, keeping that in mind has always been helpful. You know, when I'm hearing, you know, when I'm feeling accused and beaten down and weary, you know, I know that's not the spirit and I can, you know, I can call that out. You know, that's, that's not true. You know, God doesn't condemn me. And if he doesn't condemn me, nobody can condemn me. You know, if, you know, if, if the voice is saying you need to repent, you know, that sort of thing. I know it's the spirit and that's where you, you know, respond accordingly, but just that, you know, understanding that and uh, even preaching to yourself and understanding, you know, what's coming from the spirit and what's, what's not has just been invaluable. I think it's easy to, you know, take those feelings of sadness and kind of um, a snowball that, you know, just, you know, Oh yeah, that, you know, that, that is, that is the truth, you know, Um, you know, that is, my reality and that is this and you know if you let that let let that ball roll you end up farther down a path that you you know don't want to be down or never imagine you would be down um so you know recognizing that cutting that off with the gospel and understanding where you know something's just an outright lie and you can you can call the accuser on it and you know if they're that's you know, powerful. A lot of a lot of times there's not sin issues. It's just yeah. sadness. Sometimes there might be a mixture of both, or it might be sin. So you know when there is repenting of that and that, you know that's been a a big um, a big uh, game changer for the way that I the way that I handle those feelings of sadness. Well, we live in such an age when um, all around us is, is things that are being shown to us about the way our life should be. I'm meeting more and more Christians that are really, really battling depression. And it's, it's, um, it's sad to see how many just dismiss it, that Christians shouldn't be depressed. Christians just shouldn't have uh, this, that type of countenance. And yet the reality is that, like I said, historically, Christians have battled with depression, but as you've said, the the source of victory is found in the cross and what Christ has accomplished, and it's the constant reminder of that gospel that that brings us hope. And it, it's not just for in the extreme cases, but in an everyday life. And I think that's the thing we got to keep reminding people. So really appreciate you sharing your story with us on that. And I think um, you had mentioned uh, Keller too, and this just came to mind. But he's got that little series, Encounters with Jesus. Yeah. And um, kind of in relation to what we're talking about, I forget which one it is, um, but uh, he talks about Jesus meeting Mary and Martha at the uh, at Lazarus' tomb and the way that he interacts with, you know, both of the, the sisters is just completely different. Um, and, uh, you know, that, you know, that was really um, impactful for me as well. And, you know, the confessions, I mean, probably one of the most popular uh, confessions and catechisms, but probably one of the most popular questions is, what is my only hope in, in life and death? And the again, there's, yeah. there's just that just rich experiential faith that, like you said, is kind of lost. I mean, you don't really have anything like that in kind of your peanut butter and jelly evangelicalism, you know, to handle sadness. Um, but, you know, even that's just an encouragement. I mean, I just, you know, you know, if I'm feeling sad or things, you know, just seem down, I mean, I, I constantly just go back to that question, you know, what's my only hope in life and death? You know, it's just so rich and, and rewarding to delve into that and realize there is a history there and there's really good answers and comforts in, in the church. It doesn't have to be, 
something that you kind of hide under the rug and are ashamed of. Sure. Well, uh, you've, you've brought up the confessions and you uh, mentioned your book. I think it's time to turn the page to that chapter of what we're going to talk about. And uh, just uh, I want to go on record. One of the things is I picked up this book before I ever contacted you, and I was so encouraged by it. And one of the things that encouraged me was the reasons you put it together and the the choices you made in the selections of the confessions that, that are, are compiled there. Um, but one of the questions I think I have for you is, as you were wrestling through that and the desire to even write a book, uh, explain to our hearers where that came from. Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the guy who wrote the, the foreword, Josh Torrey, and I have been kind of... Um, you know, talking about resources, um, you know, again, I, I still been getting a lot of books and kind of seeing what was out there and just really hadn't found anything that was, um, well put together and, and really nice looking. And, um, you know, he, uh, he was a big encouragement in kind of getting that off the ground. And at first it was really just going to be the, you know, the Westminster and the, uh, and the Heidelberg and, um, you know, as we kind of went along and had conversations and were telling kind of other people about it, um, had several Lutheran friends ask, hey, what about, you know, including, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, once that was added, it, it kind of made sense to add uh, the uh, 39 articles as well. So just kind of wanting to have something, honestly, for myself um, was, you know, really the big impetus, just something that I could hold and have easily available and, you know, even if, you know, not using it, even just for personal worship, having a nice reference tool, you know, if you're, you know, talking with someone who's Presbyterian or Reformed Baptist or Lutheran or um, Anglican and kind of having a starting point for uh, for the conversation to avoid misunderstandings that can be avoided. Now, it's funny you say one of the initial reasons to do this was you wanted something that looked attractive. So appearance is uh, obviously important to you. And I will tell you, if you don't own a copy of this, it is a very attractive uh, copy. I mean, just a book. And one of the things is you kind of thumb through it is I love how big the font is. Um, a lot of books, you know, they try to slim that down. And I love the fact that it's, it's bold and it's, it's in your face. And um, so I, I just my my personal take on the book. I just really appreciate that. Um, as you kind of were beginning to work through it and um, started to put these different confessions together and into this book, my question to you is, um, what did you learn? What what did you begin to understand? Maybe that was fresh and new to you as you're as you're reading these confessions and putting them together and, and, and which ones maybe were the newest uh, kind of additions to a confessional interest for you? Well, probably the newest definitely would have been the Lutheranism. I mean, I had no, uh, no interaction or no real grasp besides knowing Luther and the 95 thesis and kind of what Lutherans believe. So, you know, that would have been the newest. I mean, I'd read the 39 articles before and had, decent familiarity with the uh, Reformed Baptist stuff from kind of going through that phase. Um, so that, that definitely would have been the, the newest. And, um, you know, I think I talked about this a little bit in the introduction and it was interesting because Josh and I, who wrote the forward, um, wrote our, our things completely separate and didn't really collaborate until they were done. And we kind of went through the editing process, but, you know, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, both of us, had last year um, lost a loved one. And I think, I think uh, if I'm not recalling, it was his sister, his uh, wife's um, grandfather um, and, and my wife's um, grandfather had passed away the same year too. And we, we both kind of hit on that point about how, um, about how the catechisms really helped be able to talk to our, our kids kind of as we, went through this, well, you know, kind of what's happening, where, you know, where is, um, you know, where is grandpa, you know, what happens after death and, um, and that sort of thing. So, you know, kind of as, um, you know, that was happening and, um, you know, my, uh, my grandfather passed away last year and my wife had an aunt who passed away. So kind of as all of that was happening, really that rich, rich experiential rooted faith of the, you know, catechisms really helped 
you know, helped during that time period. And, and the great thing about it too is, um, and a lot of times as parents, you feel like, Hey, my kids aren't listening. You know, they're not retaining any of this, but kind of when that stuff happens and as we're going through that, you know, my kids just had, you know, really great questions and really great, you know, theological observations. I mean, it's just, you know, it doesn't, you know, to me, it, it just impresses the fact that it doesn't have to be, again, something fancy that you do when you, you know, disciple your kids. You don't have to prepare a, a sermon and do that kind, of, that kind of thing. I mean, you've got these amazing time-tested resources that you can, you know, question, answer, and uh, even just that alone. I mean, they, you know, kids just soak that up and um, and remember that. And when big things happen, like death in the family or like, or like whatever we can, you know, uh, come back to that. I might, you know, I'm thinking even my, my oldest daughter, we had a, a little neighbor girl who since moved, but she was, uh, um, a Jehovah witness. Um, and so, you know, as they were playing, you know, you, you wouldn't maybe think, but you know, they're talking about, Hey, I'm Jehovah witness and, you know, I'm Presbyterian and, you know, what do we believe? And so she, my daughter's coming back and asking me questions and, you could tell kind of as it's happening, she's, you know, really kind of struggling with her own faith and kind of asking good questions and stuff like that. And just having a resource to return to and, Hey, you've got this question. Let's, let's see what, you know, the catechism say, let's see what the confessions say and be able to answer some of those with something where I don't, again, I don't have to come up with an answer, you know, that, you know, might be great or, you know, maybe not so great. I mean, you just, you just never know. And so it's, it's been invaluable. I know for me personally, um, early on in my own Christian walk, uh, we used to recite the Apostles' Creed at our church. And because we recited that, all of a sudden one day, as a young, young disciple, I just remember asking myself, do I believe that? Because it says we believe, you know, I, I believe yeah. in God, the Father Almighty, you know, and you just start to walk through that. And I can see how the confessions would do that. And it's such an encouraging story about your daughter, because so many people think the confessions and those who practice them are not missional at all. And here it's enabling your daughter to be missional. And that's that's an awesome, awesome story. Um, the tension a lot of times in the in when you put confessions side by side is where they differ. What surprises you the most on, let's say, from the Lutheran catechism, uh, moving over to uh, either the Heidelberg or the Westminster Confession? Uh, probably, I, I mean, I would say probably the biggest difference is the uh, the supper. Um, you know, um, you know the way that the Lutherans view that, and I, I'm not an expert on their theology, but you know, they would say, you know, they believe in the real presence of the you know, mysteriously in a way that you can't explain, you know, the, the bread is actually the body of Christ. The blood is actually the, the blood. And, and, um, it also would be effectious for salvation. So if you, you know, if you take the Lord's supper, you can be assured that you're, you're safe. So I think to me and in my kind of interaction with, um, uh, Lutherans and kind of in working through the catechisms, you know, I, I would say that may be one of the biggest contrasts um, between the two where, you've, you know, you've got the more reformed view that it's, uh, you know, Christ is bodily in heaven reigning. And so he's bodily in heaven. He's, he's not bodily in earth, but, you know, he's there spiritually. We spiritually eat. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I think that would probably be the biggest difference. Huh. Another another thing people tend to bring out about the difference in these different catechisms and confessions is the fact that the Heidelberg is so devotionally uh, kind of orchestrated, whereas like the Westminster is uh, very systematic. It's very. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there anything that really jumped out to you about any of the other uh, creeds or confessions that you worked through? Yeah, you know, you you mentioned the Apostles' Creed, and really that's where. Um, you know, I got the idea for the title, you know, I, you know, I believe in God, the father almighty. And so, you know, I kind of want this to be, um, you know, the areas where we can something that, you know, Christians can say, we believe these things. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting. Like you said, how different even the, um, even though the theology is very similar, how different the reformed confessions are, like you said, the, the Westminster confession is very systematic and the catechisms you're really short and terse, um, you know, whereas uh, the uh, Heidelberg is a lot more 
expositional, a little bit more meaty, and um, you know, the Hadeberg has the apostles in it. Both of them do the Ten Commandments, but Westminster does the Lord's Prayer. So you kind of get you know some of the elements that are in the book with you know the, the creeds and um, and that sort of thing. You know, the uh, the different confessions and catechisms kind of hit it in different ways, and I think together you really give a great a great picture. One thing which um, which we've used, I, we we did it last year. Um, this year we were using the Westminster, but um, we used the New City Catechism, which I also love because it's kind of a mixture of uh, both of the uh, Reformed Confessions. So that's kind of a cool. Uh, if you want to get a flavor of, of both, and then that's kind of a neat a neat way to kind of get some of that. And absolutely. I'm going to quote you from your book here in the introduction. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's a, a, you say, and this is the part where it says an apology for the skeptics. And you say, a valuing creeds, confessions, and catechisms is kneeling down in humility to the wisdom of the past and confessing our connectedness to the communion of saints before us and to the head of the body. And I love that because the idea of the humility of kneeling down to the wisdom of the past. I've said it this way. It's the standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. It's the way I kind of share it with my church. But I love the idea of the bowing down, submitting ourselves. Because I think one of the things I've personally seen is a lot of guys have the tendency to dismiss the catechisms because they, um, I'm spirit filled or, you know, I can study the Bible and there's a sense of almost arrogance in that where I think real humility is saying, I can't do it better necessarily than people who have wrestled with this stuff for longer periods of time than I am alive and have uh, come together in groups as opposed to me as an individual. But I just, I just wanted to bring that out and say I, I really appreciated the, the, the kneeling down and humility portion. I thought that was really rich. Um, another one that you bring up is uh, you say, again to the skeptics, you say, valuing these tools doesn't mean uncritically accepting everything old, but it does mean rejecting the idea that creeds, for instance, are an affront to our personal freedom and priesthood as believers. Why did you write that? Yeah, I think, you know, especially in um, evangelicalism, I've run in um, to a lot of people that are kind of suspicious of uh, creeds and confessions um, for one, you know, one reason or another, maybe they came out of a, a, like my parents, Roman Catholic background. So they're a little bit, Hey, we know the Roman Catholics did it. Um, or, you know, kind of the no creed, but Christ group, um, as well. So, you know, I think the two, you know, the idea that, you know, we're all, you know, in this priesthood of believers doesn't need to, um, doesn't need to negate the fact that we hold these other truths together. Um, you know, the two, the two aren't enemies, they're friends, you know, they can, gladly uh gladly coexist and they don't need to be in contrast to one another at all i think one of the things that really has blown me away about uh, your journey is you're not ordained you're not uh you're not even a ruling elder if i understand at your church you're in a in a in a broad sense a uh, a layman sitting down in the pew on sunday and worshiping with the guys right to your left and to your right and yet you find such rich richness and importance in these confessions. I guess, what would you say to uh, encourage the listeners to kind of stimulate them to have the same uh, passion that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, a lot of, a lot of what kind of spurs me on is um, having to answer these questions for myself, um, you know, especially as a, as a parent and as a husband, um, and trying to figure out how that all fits in with, you know, my faith and the church and that sort of thing. And I don't think that's uncommon. I mean, um, you know, talking to your regular average Joe type Christian, I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, how do I, how do I take what happens at church on Sunday and make it relevant for what I do the other six days of the week? 
Um, and it's not that, you know, most people don't care. They just don't know, you know, what is next. So kind of my, uh, you know, passion has been just kind of sharing, you know, what's worked for me, you know, what, you know, the journey that I've taken and what the Lord's taught me. And, you know, that's ended up, you know, being down kind of the confessional path. And uh, so if, you know, if that can be helpful to other, you know, kind of ordinary folk living ordinary life, um, then, you know, that's really my goal, just to encourage those kind of folks, you know, because you're, you know, your seminary, you know, guys and uh, your pastors and elders, um, you know, they're familiar with this stuff, you know, even though you know, I talk a bit a little about, about it in the book, but a lot of churches still don't use it, but, you know, they at least, you know, have the knowledge that this even exists. And a lot of times your, your average Christian just doesn't have any idea, or if, if they do, again, they, they're maybe a little bit suspicious of it. So hopefully remove some of that suspicion and just encourage um, people to, to dig in. Um, you know, sometimes the confessions and catechisms get a, get a bad rap, kind of this cold, uh, cold systematic approach. But um, I think once you actually get in and start reading it, you know, that's, you know, that's laid to rest. I mean, you can't read through, again, the, some of the parts of the Heidelberg or, you know, some of the catechism questions and just the way that they talk about faith and, the, you know, what God's done for us and how that affects how we live and, and think that there's anything cold or irrelevant about that. One of the things that really excites me is that it levels the playing field. And what I mean by that is as uh, Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so now in in, in equipping the the people in the pews with the catechisms with the confessions they're able to hold us ministers accountable and they're able to say hey pastor what you just preached doesn't match this and i think that's one of the safeguards that's placed in the church when we do have these as opposed to uh nobody knows but the pastor so we just assume everything he's saying is legit and the, how dangerous that is, you know, that's bringing back the popes and the and the bishops, but they're in the local churches, and that's the scary part of the way a lot of churches uh, operate. So I yeah, really that, appreciate that. And that kind of connects back with um, kind of what we were talking about earlier with um, uh, kind of the lone lone ranger approach, and I can do it myself, and I don't need these. I think when you take that approach, you know, let's say you know five out of ten people, you know, do that great and their theology spot on, um, you know, there's always going to be that, you know, that other five, we just get it terribly wrong. And I think if you look at some of the errors that kind of, you know, that we are facing today or that, you know, the Mormons or Jehovah Witness and, you know, those are all old heresies that have just kept popping back up. And I think being familiar with the confessions and catechisms, like you says, like you said, well, you know, levels the playing field and it, it allows kind of your average person to, if something doesn't sound right, you can go back and kind of fact fact check it, and it's and it's really easy. I mean, it's not these aren't super super long documents, you know, nice headings, you know, easy to 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 manage for the most part. So, have you read uh, R. Scott Clark's Recovering the Reformed Confessions? Nope, haven't. Okay. I've heard of it though. Okay, I, I I was reading that a while back, and one of the things he said, which really kind of just shocked me a little bit, and not in a, in a good way, kind of kind of jettisoned me forward, was he said that he believed the church should be writing new confessions and new creeds, and his argument was that the the uh, writers of old were writing to their time and dealing with the issues, whereas today um, things such as open theism. And other things that have crept into the church, the church hasn't had a resound voice, you know, that we've had uh, groups writing books and more individuals writing blogs and those types of things. But as the whole, the church hasn't come together to to just nail the coffin shut on some of these things. And I was curious for your thoughts about the pluses and minuses of the church getting together now in, in writing confessions and creeds. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think um, I think it. You know, I I would say I would agree. I think we should be. Um, I think maybe one of the problems is kind of the fractured state of the church now. It'd be it'd be interesting to see if you could get, um, you know, a group of people that were all orthodox and 
you know, uh, but still have enough views where you'd really have healthy uh, back and forth on some of these issues. And also, you don't want to you don't want to address every issue that's uh, you know coming up and kind of giving equal importance. But I think on issues like like you said, open theism or other important issues, it would be uh, it would be interesting. I think um, uh, is it the uh, uh, one of the continental reformed denominations, as I was kind of putting it together, I think they just adopted something new for their denomination about uh, racial issues and the kind of the history in the Dutch church and the way that they handle that wrongly. And so that's kind of something that that's right. Yep. has been recently added to the uh, to the three forms of unity. I didn't include it in there in, into the book, but uh, you know that's something a little bit new. Um, the Lutherans, although I, I don't think it's officially part of their creeds, wrote that really great um, uh, really great 30, 40 page document on race. I think, you know, those are kind of things that could be, uh, that we could kind of model after, but it'd be interesting if you could get, you know, a bunch of Presbyterians, a bunch of Reformed Baptists, a bunch of Lutherans, a bunch of Anglicans and say, Hey, we want to talk about this and come up with a a document that has some teeth that would, that kind of catches on and, and, uh, and sticks with it, you know, sticks with the church, like some of these older documents have. Sure. What, what uh, issues do you see as uh, a, a new guy begins to pick up confessions and creeds? What are some things that may be obstacles to him uh, as, the, as he begins to work through them that maybe maybe were obstacles for you early on? Um, you know, we, we already kind of talked about kind of the kind of being predisposed about what you're going to expect. Um, so, you know, one thing I'd say, just kind of come with an open mind and, and read. Um, but then I think even though the creeds and confessions are manageable, you know, if you don't have the experience and you just tell someone, Hey, there's uh, 120 questions here and you need to, you know, familiarize yourself with these, you know, that can be intimidating. Um, so, you know, just, you know, be encouraged again, that it doesn't need to be something I kind of harp on it, you know, doesn't need to be anything fancy. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to do anything crazy or, you know, whatever. I mean, you can take just a little bit at a time and just read through that and just meditate on, uh, on these kind of bite-sized truths. And it's like a, you know, it's like a nice piece of steak. I mean, it's just rich and nutritional and delicious. I mean, the the more you kind of chew in it, the better it gets. So. Right. One, one other question I'd like to ask uh, the people that come on to our uh, our podcast here is your view of subscription. There are some that say, I subscribe to it because it teaches the Word of God. There's others who come on and say, uh, I, I subscribe insofar as the creed or confession teach the Word of God. And then there was more of the position of the what I'll call like the Samuel Millers and the B.B. Warfields who said... Um, it, it's because, but the qualifier is, so far as uh, a person's exceptions are are still uh, make it consistent within the system of doctrine. So on that playing field, kind of mapping out those three options, where do you find yourself uh, fall? Are you more of a, a literal subscriptionist in the because it's defining the word of God or insofar as or consistent with the system of doctrine so exceptions are fine? Yeah, I mean, I... Again, I'm not a, a an elder or a, or a, uh, ordained at all, but I I would probably lean towards the latter. I mean, I think the confessions are amazing, um, but um, again, part of the humility, even though I believe that, you know, for me, you know, the Westminster Confession sums up, you know, the faith uh, the best. You know, I think there's, uh, in my humility, I realize, you know. There may be areas where, you know, again, like you said, taking an exception, you're not falling outside of orthodoxy doing that. So, I mean, I think that's, uh, for me, I think that's where I would land. Cool. I want to be uh, gracious and uh, try to be humble, even in my confessionalism, brothers who might not uh, might not be there yet. Very good. Very good. Um, another thing you've been touching on throughout this entire podcast is your family. And I know that you've taken a journey with your wife from fundamentalism uh, into uh, confessionalism. 
And uh, specifically, I guess my question for you is, how have you seen the confession benefit or bless your family? And if you'd share some ways that maybe others can begin to uh, experience that. Again, just making things, you know, really simple. You know, for, for me, I love theology. I love reading. I love kind of digging into the, those kind of things. And I mentioned earlier kind of my expectation once I was getting excited about that would be that my wife would start geeking out over John Piper sermons and, and theology and that kind of thing too, which is, uh, is unrealistic. I mean, God gifts us all differently. And, um, and so not everyone's going to be, uh, uh, into, not everyone's going to be into theology to that degree. We're all, we're all theologians in a way, but, um, so, you know, for, for someone like me who, who gets excited about that kind of stuff, you know, the confessions and creeds are, are great. You know, for someone, um, you know, like my wife, who, who's not sitting down reading John Calvin's Institutes um, or, uh, you know, systematic theologies on a regular basis, uh, you know, the confession's been great, you know, tool for um, for her to even be able to, to use with the kids and just have that simplicity. You know, if I, I think I, I mentioned to you, I don't think I've mentioned here, but kind of my day job, my schedule has me all over the board. So a lot of times um, I'm not home at night. I work a second shift now and that'll change here in a couple of weeks when we, when my schedule changes up again. So, you know, if, you know, if I'm not home at night and um, you know, my, I've been going through things with my kids, you know, I can say, Hey, this is where we're at. You know, just the next question, you know, back and forth a couple of times and, and that's it. So, you know, there's kind of a, a level of consistency, you know, across the board that wouldn't be there without the confessions you know, between her and I and the way that we, uh, the way that we teach them. Um, and in just, you know, everyday, um, you know, everyday conversations, I mean, that's, you know, been something I've, I've talked about too. And, and just the way that I interact with, with my kids. I mean, I think that's probably been the, the biggest, um, the biggest benefit is, I mean, almost, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a situation you know, where my kids have had a question where I haven't been able to, to go back and, and, and benefit. Um, I mentioned we were using the new city catechisms. Um, and, um, you know, one of the questions that they've kind of adapted there is, um, the, uh, one of the questions answers is that God made everyone and everything. And so, um, you know, my oldest daughter's learning about slavery in, in school and, you know, she's, really amped up about that and just really kind of distraught uh, about what's going on. And so we, you know, when we talk about it, you know, who made everyone, you know, whose image are they made in, you know? And so even those, you know, questions, difficult conversations that have to be had, you know, you can kind of take them back and those are just kind of the basic question and answers, you know, there's, there's nothing uh, fancy about that. It's just, it's right there, low hanging fruit for, anybody who's willing to, um, you know, just have the resource on hand and just be willing to, to use it. So, you know, just that kind of level of consistency, taking the difficulty and the, uh, anxiety of having to prepare something special for your family and just being able to have, um, you know, have something to answer, you know, questions that come up. And you mentioned it earlier and I kind of hit on this at the end of the book and, you know, when we, you know, talk about being confessional, you know, for me, it would be, it would be disappointing to have someone really dig into these documents, but not have it impact their, their daily life. And so kind of as I'm, as I've been growing and processing this one thing that's um, also been a huge benefit is just to think about, you know, when, when, you know, God sends us to make disciples, he sends us to, you know, teach people to obey everything he's commanded and to submit to, you know, to King Jesus. And, you know, if, if you, if you think about that, that's extremely intimidating. You know, how can, how can I do that as a father, as a husband, you know, with my interactions with other people. And for me, the, the catechisms and confessions are really a great kind of missional tool. I mean, you can, the, the way I do that is by using these resources to, teach my kids and, you know, even, you know, mentioning having conversations about 
baptism with with my family, you know, going back to the confessions, saying, "Here, this is exactly what you know what my church believes," you know, and it's you know it's right there. I mean, it's easy, accessible. So, you know, I think there's a really a beautiful but maybe often missed kind of missional impetus to the creeds and confessions and catechisms as well. That's that's awesome. Matt, I guess the question I have that's left is is simply this. What other books do you have in the works? Oh, man. Um, so so right, I, I've got several things that I'd, I'd like to write. Um, I'm actually knee-high in, in um, editing projects, so I probably won't be anything, at least at the beginning of this year. But I've, I've written a lot about um, depression at my blog, so I've got a really nice kind of foundation there. So, um, so that, you know, that's been one idea, um, that I've had is to kind of put together that and kind of expand that, um, that material, um, also kind of with my English background, um, another, another, uh, another book I've been kind of mulling around and kind of collecting data and article and research on has been how, um, how story is, essential for Christian discipleship and just this idea, you know, if you look back at, um, at the way that faith was passed down in the old Testament, it was done through story, you know, as God delivers his people out of Egypt, you know, he, he commands the the parents and Israelites to not neglect the retelling of the story to their kids. So that when they ask, Hey, what's this, or what's this, or what's this mean? You know, they're constantly just, rehashing the story of what God's, um, what God's done for, for us. And, um, I think that's a little bit, uh, a little bit lost in, in the church today. We've lost the ability to kind of convincingly tell, tell a good story. And, you know, especially as it relates to what Jesus has now come, you know, he's come and died, uh, been raised and he's, you know, sitting on his throne. And I think, you know, there's a nice parallel between, you know, um, God's redemption of Israel out of Egypt and what Christ has redeemed us from. And so uh, I love the scriptures. I think, you know, we're more blessed than any people in in church history with what we have. But um, I think one thing that's missing is just the ability to rehearse the story, um, you know, with our family and you kind of see that from when Jesus rose from the dead until the scriptures started, um, you know, started being written as just this oral rehearsing, you know, just people, you know, and that's kind of in the DNA of, of uh, Israel, you know, from, you know, from the Old Testament, just the ability to just rehearse and rehearse and share these stories with each other and kind of pass this along. So, you know, I think, Again, as as kind of an English major, that's uh, that's something I've been really interested in a topic and just reading tons of books on. And um, that's probably that's probably the thing I'll I'll start kind of working on next and and start developing. So well, you've captured my interest on that. I've I've, I've forever been of interest to Deuteronomy uh, chapter six on the Shema yeah. and the whole idea of teaching those things those the the story to to those in our house and what that looks like so that would be a, a great um a great a great book uh matt just for the listener again just if they have been blessed by this i know i have been um what's your website your blog how can they get a hold of you if maybe they just want to let you know they're praying for you um how can they do that um so i i will make one disclaimer um is that my existing blog is kind of in a transition phase. Um, so as I do more uh, book editing and, and that sort of thing, I'm writing a little bit less than I used to be. But the home blog is graceforsinners.com. And there's probably going to be some changes happening to that um, over the next year. Um, you can also go to matthewbryansims.com. That's uh, my, my personal side that has um, all the books and all the projects and everything. Um, that I'm working on. Um, and, um, you know, as far as, as prayer, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's very easy to let, um, 
let our faith become the status quo and, and to be kind of satisfied with uh, where you're at. And, um, and so, I, you know, if they want to pray for something, they can pray that that, you know, that never is the case um, for me. And then also something just super, super practical. Um, again, I'm just kind of an ordinary dude with a job that, that writes and, and does some stuff on the side. But as I said, my, my schedule is kind of all over the board. And one thing I've really been praying about, um, and, uh, you know, if it's, if it's God's will, I hope that, um, that, uh, maybe this is the year it happens, but I would really, really love, uh, and I, and I really enjoy being home with my family at nighttime. So we've got this shift bit at my work that's coming up. And, uh, you know, one thing the listeners can pray for would be that if it, you know, if it's God's will, that, uh, this would be the year that maybe something would be opened up for me to, to work during the day instead of at night. So that's again, something super practical. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, um, more, more spiritual, but, uh, either one would be a, a huge blessing. Matt, I really, really appreciate your humility. Um, just, this has been an amazing, uh, just podcast in the sense of, for me, just hearing your heart. Uh, it's neat to be able to talk to somebody that you read their work first and, um, be able to, uh, just now hear the heart of the person behind it. So, um, I know a lot of listeners will be very blessed by this and just want to say thank you. If you are hearing this podcast and, uh, if you hear my voice, obviously you are, you want to get a copy of, we believe creeds, confessions, and catechisms for worship. Uh, it's edited by Matthew Sims and it's be well worth the money you spend with that. We're signing off. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.